0: Turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 13. This is a little history lesson. Paul formerly known as Saul, um, begins his first missionary journey about this time. And um, he's on the... He's sailing around and... uh, makes it to Paphos and Perga and Pamphylia, um, and he ends up at Pisidian Antioch, so not the church that sent him out, which was the church at Antioch, but he ends up at a different city, Pisidian Antioch, and he's speaking to the Jews there. Um And so we're going to read what Paul says when he stands up in this Jewish synagogue. And he begins by giving them a little history lesson and moving into the gospel and speaking of the Savior that God has given to Israel and also to us. So please stand for the reading of God's word. From Acts chapter 13, we're going to begin reading in verse 16, 16 through 24. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm. He led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, this week we're going to be looking at an aspect of the suffering that we face in this world. <clears throat> God has brought to Israel a Savior he's always been faithful to keep his promises that's part of what that history lesson was all about we've been reading in Genesis and you look at the promises that he gave to Abraham and then you read the promises this morning that he made to Isaac and you walk forward down the, the history and no matter how deep you know you Paul gave, a very rapid overview. He, he gave a few sentences and he said all that took about 450 years. Right? And then came so you, you, you go through these humongous changes. Gigantic changes took place. 450 years and then what? And then Samuel and then kings all of a sudden. right? And then David the king and then the promise to David that from David, the king would be descended. So he has been faithful to keep his promises. But today we have this tendency to think that that means that everything is done. Or we we really want it to be at least that everything is done, because the prom because those promises have been fulfilled. And so we think of uh, verses in the New Testament that say, for instance, that we're seated in the heavenlies. This is true, right? But does that mean that every day, in every way, the world is getting better and better? No, it it doesn't mean that. And That's why, as Christians, today we are often unable to answer the question, why is there suffering in this world? That's a question that you don't want to be asked. As a Christian, you're just afraid of that question, right? Cuz it's a hard it's a hard question. Non-Christians like to ask that kind of question. Why is there suffering in the world? <clears throat> and you just you know, why does God let bad things happen to good people? It's another way of asking the same question. So why is there suffering in this world? Well, maybe some of you are thinking, well, because of Adam's sin. True enough. Because of Adam's sin. That's what brought pain and sorrow, suffering and death into the world. But then you've still got to deal with this reality that suffering continues, and not only does suffering continue, but suffering continues for Christians, right? It's not like somehow the, the uh, becoming a Christian means that now when you stub your toe, it doesn't hurt. Now that sounds ludicrous to everybody, right? And yet, that's the way we want it to work with certain aspects of our life. We want it to be, well, I became a Christian. Now I'm done with what? Now I'm done with this particular sin. Now I'm done with being tempted in this way. Now I'm done with actually sinning. Now I'm done actually having to fight against my sin. Now I'm done having to suffer the consequences of my sin. Typically, it has to do with sin. We want to be done. And that's good that we want to be done, right? But we, we have to realize that having an attitude towards sin that's just as ludicrous as that attitude about, well, I became a Christian. Now, when I stub my toe, it's not going to hurt anymore. Okay? We ought to laugh at both of those things. Good laugh. Good laugh, Liam. (laughs) So Christians still suffer. Their sin has been paid for in full. That's complete. So shouldn't our suffering be done? Wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be what we want? Many people have believed a gospel, a good news, that is founded on the fact that real Christians don't suffer. That gospel is not the gospel that we have. Okay? That is a false gospel. That is not the good news that John proclaimed and that Jesus brought. But it is very, very common in this country and around the world for people to believe that, that lie, that claim of good news, that now as true Christians, we won't face suffering anymore. There won't be pain anymore there. And <clears throat> I know just as one example of a family that refused to accept the death of their son, he died. He's dead. They became incredibly angry with my father when he tried to help them deal with the death of their son. Why? They called him faithless. The only thing that could happen if they were real Christians is that their son would come back to life. That's the good news that they had. Do you understand how hopeless that good news is? How sad that good news is? How bad that good news is? It's not good news because it's based on a lie. And so people who have, who have come to believe that being a true Christian means that we're not going to have suffering anymore, that that we're going to have all of the money that we want so that we never have to suffer want for any sort of physical need. That we're going to have is all the health that we want so that we're never going to suffer any sort of physical mal- malady. That we're never going to suffer the consequences of sin. That we're going to be able to somehow just Smile and everything will feel better. That is a good news that has no good in it. It gives you no ability to deal with suffering. That family couldn't deal with suffering. It was literally against their religion. Does that make sense? Suffering was against their religion. This is, this is uh, you know, there's a whole movement that, cl- within, that claims the name of Christ that believes this. There's also, outside of Christianity, you've got Scientology believing some of the same kinds of stuff, all right? But the pain that Christians suffer in this life is not proof that God doesn't exist. From the mild difficulties that we face, like I wish that I had an extra $5 right now so that I could buy that, whatever it is that you happen to be standing in the the aisle at the checkout. That's a mild difficulty. A mild difficulty of the most mild sort, right? But it's but but this is the kind of suffering that is that is against the religion of many many people who claim to be Christians. Okay, from that all the way through to the most excruciating suffering that we suffer as Christians. Every uh, one of those difficulties is for our sanctification. Every one of those difficulties is for our sanctification. And what that means is that our suffering is proof that God is working on us and in us. Have you ever heard that, Uh, how does it go? That little saying um, about pain letting you know you're alive just lets me know I'm alive. There's all sorts of ways of dealing with pain, right? Pain is just weakness leaving the body. No pain, no gain. just lets me know I'm alive. That one's normally one that you hear from older people with a good sense of humor. Uh, I just can't remember exactly how they put it. (laughs) But how do we deal with pain as Christians? Well, we've We have to start by having the right understanding of suffering. We have to start by by, by recognizing that these things are for our sanctification and therefore are from the Lord. They are evidence of him working in us and on us. So you go back to our text and you think about what Paul does. He gives them this little history lesson, right? And what is the history? Well, the history is a history of God keeping his promises. And putting his people through difficult times. If you know anything about the history of Israel, you know that it's a history that's filled with difficult times, right? It starts out with Abram being promised that he will have a son and yet not having a son. That's difficult, isn't it? Living in that time of waiting and tension, it's hard. That's that's where the history of the Israelites starts. I mean yeah, you can go earlier, but Abraham, that's the, you know, that's the start. And it starts with that kind of pain and it, and you just move forward and what he says, and then I will send your descendants into slavery for a long 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 time. God chose the Israelites, God chose the people, the Jews, to be his people because they were nothing. Deuteronomy seven says, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. God promised Abraham that he would give him the land of Canaan, but he also told him that his descendants would be enslaved. Like I was just saying, that's in Genesis 15, 13 and 14. God said to Abraham, "Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions.'" How, how long is 400 years? Longer than our nation has existed. Way longer than our nation has existed. Right? God warned them that if they didn't obey him in the land that he was giving them, that they would suffer. And that if they worshipped foreign gods, that he would turn his back on them. And he kept his promise by sending them into exile. We're focused on results. We're a results-oriented society, a results-oriented people. I'm focused on results. (laughs) And I want them when? Now, instant gratification. Is there anything more irritating than trying to watch something on Netflix and it doesn't start right then? you got to wait? Seriously? What has the world come to? I'm going to have to sit here and wait for how long? This is the level at which, I mean, am I the only one? I'm probably the only one who's too cheap to buy a faster internet connection. (laughs) But this is, the, this is the instantaneous that we're used to in America, right? I had a professor who used to make fun of Americans because of the size of vehicles that they drove. The Ford Explorer, and then the Ford, what was it? Expedition. Was there an excursion? The excursion was like four lanes wide. He said the next one he had just heard that they were coming out with the Exodus. Four million people were going (laughs) to fit in it. Well, this morning I want to make fun of us for our instant gratification. Forget Ford, what about Amazon? Super Saver Shipping? Is that? No, thank you. How about Amazon now? I'm gonna have to wait till tomorrow? What's the matter? Can't you like hire somebody? I want it now. Build a drone. Bribe the government. I don't care. I want it now. This is there's a reason Amazon is doing this, right? Same-day delivery? I don't think we have that in, in Cincinnati, lowly Cincinnati, do we? <clears throat> I remember ordering something, and the next day, a courier drives up in a Honda Civic with a little package for me. What is going on here? This is—I I, was—I was—I was not just flabbergasted; I was delighted. Why? Because this is what we care about. We care about not waiting. We don't have patience. Instant. Instant gratification. We want to see the fruit without the long amount of time and the large amount of work. That goes into it first. I want an apple. I go to the store and I buy an apple. None of this plant an apple tree stuff for me. None of this waiting and and pruning and fertilizing. watering, waiting for the right time of year. I want an apple. I want the fruit right now. We want to win the reward without having competed. I think that might be the most damaging part about (coughs) kids' Sports that don't keep track of score and that give awards to everybody. I mean, some people are all like, yeah, yeah, it makes everyone feel good, that's great. And other people are like, no, there's something wrong with that. I don't know, it's just retarded. Whichever side you're on, I want you to know there is some danger in it, all right? And the danger is that it convinces us that we can have a reward without having worked to get that reward. Without having competed. Much less competed to win. We're focused on results. We want to be rich quickly and without sacrificing anything. Get-rich-quick schemes are everywhere. They're a dime a dozen. Why are they perennially popular? Because that's what we want. We want a way to be rich now without having to spend nights cleaning right, or without having to uh, take side jobs, or without having to save and control our spending, all of the hard parts of self-discipline. That's why get-rich-quick schemes are always making somebody money. because we're willing to pour good money after bad trying to get the opportunity to get rich quick. We want to understand without working at studying in school, whatever subject it is that you're worst at. We want to be strong, but without exercising, and so we take performance-enhancing drugs, right? We don't. Okay, fine. We take supplements. We want wisdom, but without fearing God and seeking His righteousness. This is what we want. We're instant gratification people. We want the outcome. We want the good without the hard. But Paul gives us a history lesson. And he goes way back, and he starts talking about the people, the Jews. And this is what God's people have always done. We've always looked to the past, what God has done in the past, as proof, of what he will do in the future. And that's what we need to do today. Look to the past and see what God has done and remember that that's proof of what he will do in the future. He has sent a Savior. Therefore, he will complete the work that he has begun in us. Notice that nowhere in that promise is that it will be easy. Notice that nowhere in that promise is that it will be quick, that it will be instant. Right? The promise is, he has sent a Savior, he will complete the work that he begins We just want it finished now. We want the results. With regard to justification, this is why it's tempting to say that we were justified at the time that Jesus died. Remember, justification is something that happens at a particular time. Sanctification is something that continues The reason that it's tempting to put our justification way back at the time of the cross is because then our sanctification has a couple thousand years head start. Now, we don't really, you wouldn't think that that thought necessarily, but if you can get that completed way back then, then you can think, well, you know, That happened before I was even alive. I was justified at that moment. Well, the work was completed then, but you weren't justified then. The work of your sanctification that God was doing by the power of Jesus Christ was done then too. It's as good as done. And yet, it's not done, is it? You've still got to work. God is still causing it to bear fruit in us. And so the completion is later. The beauty of this is that today God has brought us further. We're not, we're not in the same position as the Jews before Jesus, are we? We actually get to see much more of the completion. We are much further along in his plan. We don't see nearly as dimly as they saw in the past. Today we see our Savior clearly. We could end up like the Israelites leave, living in Egypt in slavery. Nothing is preventing that sort of thing from happening to us, right? But what do we have? We have the benefit of seeing much more of the proof. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He was raised. And so we look to the promised land like they did while they were in Egypt. They were looking to that promised land, right? And we look to the promised land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful place where there's no more sorrow, no more suffering, pain, or death. But we only get there by walking through the wilderness. What is that? That's the work of sanctification. I'm going to close this morning by reading a few verses from Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're raised up, seated in the heavenlies, right? so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works." Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so, the history lesson that Paul gives the 450 years, the kings, David, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will, from the descendants, he raised up a Savior. We receive that as our promise. And we get to look back at all of that stuff. Like Paul tells us, look back. See, this is what God did. And then look forward. And don't claim a false gospel where there's not pain, where there's not sorrow in this life. the promised land by faith. And then walk in the good works that he has prepared for your sanctification. Let's pray.